Stephanie Coxon. And I'm Kathy Anderson Martin. And we are two women influencing real lives. So let's twirl. The economy has plummeted over the last three years. We have cities like Philadelphia firing their diversity, equity, and inclusion officers. We have the Democrats trying to take out their opponents through lawsuits. What U.S. of A. are we living in? Today, we have Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry to unravel some of the happenings in Congress. He was chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and is currently sitting on the U.S. House Committees on Transportation and Infrastructure, Oversight, and Foreign Affairs. It should also be noticed that while we like Congressman Perry, we absolutely love his wife. I am Stephanie Coxon. And I am Kathy Anderson Martin. And we are two women inspiring real life. So let's twirl. Well, we are so excited to have you with us and to uh, introduce Representative Scott Perry, one of our favorite, if not our very favorite uh, representative in the House, U.S. House of Representatives. So welcome, Scott. It is uh, it is awesome to be with you. And uh, I, too, uh, am very enamored by my beautiful and, as you know, very capable uh, my bride. And it took me a long time to find her. But uh, but it was worth the wait. Well, we thought it only appropriate to give a shout out to to her, because when you do this job, um, it takes two people and a whole family in on it. And we we so appreciate your sacrifice and service as a person in the military and now your service in the House of Representatives. And before we get into the political stuff, which there's a lot of that, um, just share a little bit about your personal background and what you did before you were uh, serving in the House and uh, how you got here. Well, I've been uh, politically aware, I'll put it like that, since I was very young. I, I considered myself a Republican since first grade. And uh, when start. I started to tell, yeah, since first grade, I started telling my mother who she should vote for. And um, but I would also say this as a as a product of a, you know, what would people maybe characterize back in the day as a dysfunctional, non-traditional family. Um, we didn't have a lot of resources. Um, it was me, my brother, and my mother, and then my my sister is twelve years younger than I am. So there was when 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 it came time to vote and so on and so forth. Of course, I registered to vote, but I, I didn't do anything more than that. And and I just was of the opinion that people like me couldn't do any more than that. Uh, and, and when you say, well, what are people like you? Uh, people like me that were paying, you know, five bucks uh, to put gas in your tank just to get back and forth to work, because that's all the money you had, right, until maybe the next paycheck. And it was a vehicle that was likely going to be broken soon anyhow, and you had to try and save some money for the next water pump or the alternator, and you were going to be fixing it fixing it yourself. And And people like me that went to vote tech school for auto mechanics and had, you know, grease in my the cracks of my uh, my fingers and under my fingernails, people like that didn't run for office and didn't know anybody that did. So I did my civic duty, but uh, I got myself into college. I, I started putting myself through school. I started out at Hack, which is a great school. You get really great personal instruction, or at least you did back in the day. And, uh, and I w finished up at Penn State. And that's a long story in and of itself. But suffice it to say, you know, the, the school has an interest in you being there as long as possible. And I remember when I went to see the counselors and set up my course schedule, understand I'm not an 18 year old kid now. Uh, I'm, I'm in my late 20s and um, 
and the counselor wanted me to go through all these classes and so on and so forth. I said, let me tell you how this is going to go. I need to know what's required to graduate and then I'll figure the rest out later. But I want to get that stuff up front because I was working a full-time schedule and going to school full-time. And so we did that. But suffice it to say, I ended up with a period of time at the end of my college experience with you know credits to fulfill, my core functions done. And I just needed to get some credit. So I looked at what was available and there was a political science class available. And I thought, well, that sounds a little interesting. Maybe, maybe I'll do that. So I started doing it and I, you know, I didn't have to study. It all came very easily to me. And I think I had a pretty hard instructor. He's kind of renowned, uh, Mike Young from Penn State. And, uh, and, you know, I just would say that it, it came very easy to me. And I said, well, how do I do more? How do I get involved? And he said, well, the first thing you have to do is determine what party you, you think you belong to. And I, and I told him uh, that I knew that. And so he hooked me up with a meeting and I wanted to immediately get involved in a United States Senate campaign. And, uh, and of course, the folks I met said, no, you, that's not going to happen. We're going to send you to your state representative. That guy didn't want to meet with me. That's a whole story, too. But suffice it to say, I ended up on a county prothonotary race, which seemed like very far beneath what I wanted to be involved in. But it turns out it was a wonderful and very it was a great experience because it was me, the candidate and his wife. That was the campaign team. And you learn very quickly what would work and what wouldn't work, what it was like dealing with the candidate, the candidate's wife and all that kind of thing. And um, and then at some point, you know, I became a member of the Young Republicans and I was working on campaigns. And if you're a person that volunteers, everybody's interested in, you know, um, having you come help them because it's hard to get volunteers. And, you know, it's it's a lot of work. And uh, so I did that for a lot of campaigns. And then the guy that was my state representative, I thought he'd made a horrible mistake in a vote. And I didn't think he could win his next reelection. And I went to have a conversation with him and he was so angry with me about the prospect that I would even consider that he couldn't win. But I wanted to talk to him about if he couldn't win, who could? Because we wanted a good person to represent us and so on and so forth. And that experience um, where he was so angry with me and wouldn't talk to me and considered me a traitor after I'd worked on many of his campaigns. And I didn't even agree with him on much of anything, quite honestly. Um, we were just two different ideologies as Republicans. But then I sat down with some of my friends in my basement. I didn't have any money. I didn't know anybody. I didn't think I knew anything. And and I thought, well, the people I've met in this arena and certainly the people that are currently running for this position, I think I can do as well as they can. Why don't I just run? And that's how it all started for me. It was really by happenstance. I remember I went to my first political event. I was very excited. Tom Ridge was running for governor. And uh, and I went to this this big event in Harrisburg and, uh, you know, I extended my hand to to shake hands with a, a girl that I had known from school. She was in school with, at Penn State with me and I just recognized her. She recognized me. And I remember she looked at my hand, which, of course, had had grease underneath my fingernails because by day I was working a job, you know, and uh, and I could tell she looked at that and and it was embarrassing to me. Um, but it, but it, but it also, um, just showed me that it doesn't matter if you got grease underneath your fingernails and if you work a job and, uh, and you don't think you have a voice in America, you're supposed to have a voice in America. And that's how I got started. And I just kind of disregarded that. 
I wash my hands harder the next time. You never get it all out when you work on cars, but um, but I think we need people to represent us that have done things, and, yeah. and whether that you know, no matter what it is, that have done things in their life and didn't just grow up and went to school to be an elected official. I'm not I'm not here to disparage that that career track, so to speak, but I, I think that. We want people that had real life experiences that struggled and that were embarrassed by maybe their station in life. Those are some of the best people, I think, to serve in elected office because they really do represent most people that get up every day, pack a lunch, head off to work, and they're struggling. They struggle to get through these these days and, and their lives. And that's and we need people to represent them. You know, I, I think you may hate me for this, but I want to point out one thing that you didn't say, but I think it's uh, really relevant to the conversation is that you are half what? I'm, well, I'm half Colombian. You know, people don't think of me as they look at me and they, they just don't see any complexion or, or anything like that. But my mother, my, my grandmother and my great grandmother came here, came into Ellis Island. We have the paperwork and their name on the wall. And we're very proud of that. My grandmother, as a woman, came to this foreign country, didn't speak the language, didn't know anybody, and took a chance on America and made something of herself and started a family here in America and didn't ask anybody for anything, worked her way through. And, it, you know, it wasn't a perfect life. It wasn't an easy life. But she wanted uh, my mother, you know, she speaks Spanish fluently. She's Colombian, you know, and. Uh, um, and, and I think uh, that's where your feistiness comes yes. from. All the Colombians are very feisty. So I think people need to know that. That's why you are so good at what you do. Yes. Well, I don't know if I'm good at it, but I am sometimes outspoken, which gets me into trouble. And of course, if you know my mother, you know somebody that's outspoken. <laughs> well, you know, Scott, I know a group was having you speak and uh, that I a few months ago and they said you're coming and they said, oh, some of the people weren't very excited because it's a very multi-ethnic group. And I said, well, you realize he's a part Latino. And they said, no, he's not. And they said, yes, he is. And then they totally changed. So we needed to felt we needed to get that out there and share that. And I also was thinking of, you know, titles for your book, like Grease Under My Nails or From Prothonotary's Office to State Rep to a U.S. Representative, just to <laughs> Case you ever need that instead. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. I'm not planning on writing a book. I'm busy. I don't know how these guys that are in office write all these books. I'm trying to save the republic. I don't know who has the time. Well, they are not. Kathy's your first volunteer. She she will help you do it, apparently. Oh. And then, okay. All right. All right. Books, you know. No, I'm just joking. But um <laughs> Hey, so I've you know there's a lot of stuff going on um, currently in the U.S. Um, Can I interrupt you once, things, Stephanie? One other thing in your bio you forgot you served in the military for many years as well, didn't you, Scott? I did. Um, I started out as a private. This comes from a, everything's a story, right? But I didn't, you know, I grew up uh, going through high school. My mother was working a couple jobs. My stepfather was not really present in my life at the time, that stepfather. And so I kind of grew up on my own. You know, you kind of get to the end of high school and you don't really have a plan. Um, I'd gone to Votech, uh, but I didn't even know what college was. And I know that sounds really backwards, but I really didn't know what it was. And I remember when we were getting ready to graduate, some of my friends were going off to college and they kind of explained, we're going to go to school and this and that. And I said, go to school? What are you people crazy? We're just now getting out of this thing. And now you're going to pay to go. And, you know, a lot of my friends went and drank a lot of booze and got C's and D's and 
in courses that I don't think they use for the rest of their life. And, and I'm glad I didn't go then. I'm glad that I put myself through it. But um, I remember sitting down with, uh, at the dinner table, I had a girlfriend and, uh, and her father said, young man, what, what are you thinking about doing with your future? And I said, well, I'm really not sure. I didn't really know what he did. Well, it turns out he was a military recruiter. <laughs> so, so he said, boy, do I have a deal for you? And, um, and so I thought, you know, um, I was always enamored by the military and service. And I thought, um, here again, that was just something for other people that knew somebody or something. I didn't really know how the process worked. I ended up uh, enlisting. I, I started out as a private. I got to, uh, I went to officer candidate school and became an officer and commanded at every level from, from troop on up to the brigade level and, uh, you know, went from private to first lieutenant and eventually climbed up the officer ranks to brigadier general, got to fly almost every single rotary wing. That's a helicopter, rotary wing aircraft in the army inventory instructor pilot just, uh, just was afforded opportunities that most people only dream about. I got to command troops in combat in, in Iraq and uh, flew a bunch of missions myself. And uh, I have nothing but good say things to say about my experience in the military. And, and so it was part of my life. And, you know, I'm retired from that now. And I lament what's happened to our military. If you want to talk about that, we can. But, um, but uh, it was a shaping uh, experience for me in my life. And, and uh, I think it does a lot of good for a lot of people. It certainly did for me. And, you know, we need people that are willing to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves and to sacrifice for something that is bigger than your own personal desires. And that's really what the, the what the military is about. It's about sacrifice. And thank you for your service. I, I just, uh, I appreciate your service to your country. And I, I don't think a lot of people realize that. So now, Stephanie, you can get into that political part. Well, now <laughs> I've lost my thought process, Kathy. Yeah. Sorry. I'm out. I'm, I don't know. No, I'm just well, you started, you mentioned the military there, Scott. So it's probably, there's so many things we could talk about in this, uh, what's happening in our country today, which are just um, apoplex, make me sick, really. But um, you mentioned, let's start with the military since that's your background and what's happening there. And we see now, even with our Department of Defense director um, has been out of commission or was out of commission for a few days. I guess you, that doesn't matter. You just do whatever. But so share what you think. It does matter. That. It, yeah. it does matter. A mil military is being in the military is about leadership and leadership is about sacrifice. You sacrifice your own wishes for the for the good, in this case, of the country. And the country is an idea. It's an ideal. Right. And it's not only just states and the people in them, but it's what we stand for. And as a person that serves in uniform, you say you're going to give your life or you will give your life in defense of that. And that's a that's a huge thing to consider when you're 18 or when you're 35, you know, that's a big deal. And uh, over the course of my experience in the military, it seemed to me that we were trending in the wrong direction. You know, um, I, I was with a lot of people that didn't want to get a, their hair cut short in basic training. And I would think, well, what did you think was going to happen? That That's part of the the uniform service, and people don't even think about uni uniform, one form. We all look the same. There's a reason. There's a reason for that because we're not focused on ourselves. And so, when you know, I'm a sitting as a member of Congress, and I'm voting on things like we're changing the uniform policy so that you can wear your religious garb in uniform. I'm sorry, 
Um, we we acknowledge and appreciate in the military, at least we did, every every faith there is on the planet. Uh, and your faith is your own, and that's your own personal uh, that's your own personal belief. But it's it's not to be a part of display when when you're trying to be in the uniform services and you all have one standard. The uniform the, 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 we have a uniform standard, and it's so important. We call the flag the standard. We follow the standard. But they've changed the standards now where, just like in much of America, we don't acknowledge the standard. We don't acknowledge the law. We don't acknowledge norms and, uh, and the way society, you know, traditions and those kind of things. We all want to do what we want to do. Well, that's not the military. If you want to do what you want to do, well, God bless you, go do it. But don't join the military because you're going to have to take orders. And I kept seeing example after example where people just just didn't want to take orders or they didn't like the system. Well, you have a choice. You can get out, but they didn't choose that. What they chose was, well, we don't like what the military's doing or we don't like the training for today, so we want to do something else. Well, and, and then if somebody said something about it, if a senior commander or a senior uh, leader said something about that, then there were, you know, problems that, you know, you had, you got a, um, you got potentially some investigation. Were you discriminating or something like that? Um, and, and so I'm concerned because the military is built on discipline. You need to have discipline to keep your uniform straight, to show up on time and to do the job no matter how much you don't like it. And to keep your, you know, to say something when the appropriate thing is to be said and to not say something when it's not your turn to say that all requires that that all requires discipline. And without discipline, we don't have a military. And I'm very concerned as I see a lack of discipline across our uniform services and society in general, but in our uniform services. And the thing that you mentioned where Secretary Austin, the Secretary of Defense, which, by the way, I did not vote for his waiver to become Secretary of Defense because I saw problems with his career that concerned me up until that point. And this only validates it. Either he failed to tell the president that he was going to be out of commission. Keep in mind. He's involved in every significant decision regarding the war in Ukraine, the war in Israel, or potential threats to the United States of America, whether it's people coming across the border illegally, including terrorists, or whether it's the Chinese spending a, sending a spy balloon across the country. The Secretary of Defense is involved in that conversation and the decision making, and, and he can't be incapacitated without without people knowing so that they're, we, we all often say as a leader, you never leave your formation without a leader. When, if you have to leave to go fight, if you have to leave to go to the bathroom, you put somebody else in charge in case something happens. It's just how it's done. And so either he left without informing the president or the administration didn't inform anybody else. And again, that goes to a lack of discipline and a lack of discipline makes our country unsafe. And that's, my, my greatest concern, and, and quite honestly, it's why I decided I would leave the military. It was my decision to go. I spent over 30 some years in uniform and, and it defined me. And I thought that I helped defining it. But when it started to not stand for the things that I believe in, I could no longer, uh, I could no longer serve and, and take orders. And, and uh, so, so I decided that, you know, I would move on to other things and I did, but um but uh, I still am very proud of people that are willing to put the uniform on and pledge their life for the country. But I am concerned when people would say, wait a minute, I got orders to deploy. I didn't, 
I didn't know we were going to deploy. I just joined for the education benefits. You joined the military. You joined the uniformed services. You joined the army. Uh, it's too late for that now. If that's if that's why you're joining, please don't join. Go do something else. We'll find people that want to be there that are willing to do what needs to be done. And apparently it's not you. And I don't feel badly about saying that. You know, I, it, a lot of interesting points that you're making, and you're absolutely right. And and we're seeing a deterioration, I think, across the board, right? In almost every aspect of American life. If you were to choose, you know, one kind of priority or one issue that you think is really the worst, what do you think that would be? That's a that's a loaded question there, Stephanie. <laughs> oh, no, the one worst. It is a loaded question, but but I have pondered this because I'm a legislator and we try and fix things by making laws. And of course, when you make laws, essentially, you're probably taking some person's right away um, or or you're at least diminishing their ability to make choices for themselves. And we try and control behavior by doing that, which I find personally somewhat objectionable on a lot of different levels. And I don't think we can control general human behavior by legislating that comes from a moral compass and that comes from a foundation um in my opinion that comes from the good lord above and i would love to see our society get closer to the good lord and get closer to believing that they're not in charge of everything um and that uh, there is a higher power that uh that that we can turn to and that can guide our footsteps. And, but we can't change that legislatively and I can't change people's hearts, but I just know that if you have a conscience that is rooted in, in, in that belief that it, it guides your footsteps and you're less apt to make, we all fall short, but you're less apt to make mistakes that are based on selfishness. And I see in our society, a lot of selfishness, um, and we all want good things for ourselves and for our families and for our communities. But um, but um, I think that uh, a life that is rooted in in service and in uh, in kind of sacrifice for the greater good is is a life that's well lived and better for all of us. I love that. So it, it's a, you're absolutely right. It's a heart issue. That was totally unexpected, but that was amazing because I think you really hit the root of everything in one answer. I mean, honestly, I am. I, I don't know that I could have said it better. I'm thinking, you know, what are we going to, you know, with the Biden under the bus? What are we going to do here? But you really, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a heart issue on every single level, regardless. And an entire philosophy, an entire philosophy of something bigger than yourselves versus um, what can I, what's in it for me. Um, that you're exactly right. Yeah, when America's great, um, people have opportunities, and one of the opportunities they have is to know the good Lord and uh, to know the salvation from their sins and all those things. And it's one of the reasons I think that our country was was founded by um you know with with divine providence we beat every single odd we were not supposed to win george washington was was would have been seen and was seen as treasonous by the people that ran this country all of the founding fathers had had they lost that war would have all been hanged or lost their lives and many of them did and and i think we got to keep focused on why we do the things we do um and, and one of the reasons is, is that I think that we all want to be 
closer to God. And, and the, the, a good way to get there is to live in America where you can choose to do that. Absolutely. Let's let's talk more about this. Let's take a quick break here. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we stream 24-7. And now you can also hear them on podcasts on those same apps. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flu, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud for 25% off. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty.
America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back. So, yeah, I think I think you make some some great points. It really is that heart, the the morale and all that kind of stuff. Can I ask you, I know you can't really get into this, but can I ask you um, a very direct question? You could just say what you can. And if you can't, you can't say it. But my one question that I'm dying to know, did you over try to overthrow the election? Stephanie, you're you're never one to mince words. And that's one <laughs> of the things we all love and admire and respect about you. And I know that's the narrative, right? That's the narrative that the left wants to paint us all with. And, and keep in mind why that narrative is. That narrative is the only way that they think they can win the next election, whether it's against, uh, whether it's in the presidential contest, Senate contests, or in the House of Representatives. That is the narrative. That's the only thing that they think that they can win in the polling shows that. That's why you keep hearing that. Just so you know, and I know that you know this, Stephanie, <laughs> what I did was my duty, which was to represent my constituents, including you, who demanded after the 2020 election to have questions answered. Now, when I can't get the questions answers, I'm a legislator. I'm not an investigator. I'm not law enforcement. All I can do is turn to those who are. So I asked the questions on your behalf. I asked for an investigation and to my knowledge, none has ever, there's been no investigation of what happened in Pennsylvania. And I did object to the electors because I thought that, that we needed to have an investigation to ensure that people could trust in the election that they just participated in without concern that there was some funny business. And in Pennsylvania, as, a no, as you know, there was funny business when you had some people that could drop their ballots off in a drop box without any without any identification of who they were. But other people like me, or probably like you, we went to the poll and signed our name in front of somebody and said, this is who we are. That's called disparate treatment. One treatment for you, another treatment for somebody else. Some people voted before election day. Some people voted on election day. Some people got to vote after election day. That's disparate treatment. That's two different standards of treatment for the same thing. That's not how we do things in America. So I asked for there to be an investigation and I objected based on those questions that were remaining. And, um, and I would just tell you this, for the last at least two decades of your life, where a Republican won, the other party, the Democrat party, members of the Democrat party objected every single time, every single time. No one has accused them of what they're accusing me of. And, and as you know, Stephanie, I haven't been charged with anything. I haven't actually been accused of anything. I'm not the target of any investigation. They just don't like that I have a big mouth and I say things that they don't like. And so they want to they punish me for that and shut me up. Well, I, I'm your voice, so I can't shut up. And I think this is a good reminder to people that you are representing your constituents. And if you have people coming to, coming to you in concern, you need to ask those questions on behalf of those people. Right. And I right. and I can say for certain, I was one of those people. And I know I was not alone. I, in I'm, my I'm, I'm one of those people as well, since I'm your constituent as well. So there's two of us at least, right? I got <laughs> thousands of phone calls, emails, letters, texts asking me about these things that people had seen, that people had reported. Can you get the information? What's going on? 
it was my duty to ask the question. And like I said, there never has been an investigation uh, as far as I know. And so the questions have never been answered. But just by the sheer fact that I asked the questions, that I asked the questions and I did it officially on the House floor by the process that is outlined in the Constitution, by the way, um, the other side cannot stand that. They can only stand that when they do that. And the people, some of my colleagues that are accusing me of what you just said, Steph Stephanie, um, they're the same people that objected the last time a Republican one is elected, the very same people. So um, they, they want to intimidate me and by transposition, transposition, quite honestly, they want to intimidate you. They want you to be quiet, don't have these questions. And if you do have these questions, keep them to yourself. That's what they want you to do. That's not America. And I'm not doing it. And we thank you very much for that, because that is the problem. You know, just uh, make the narrative and keep saying it. And whether there's any truth to it or anything else or basis, it doesn't matter. We're just going to keep putting that narrative out there. And we thank you that you have stand up and um, speak out because we need more of people like you. That's just so true. And, you know, one of the things when I look at the situation happening with the lawsuits with Trump, with what they're doing to you, I mean, every, everyone across the board, you're seeing this across the U.S. I, I honestly think that it's in what you said earlier that they cannot win unless they can bankrupt you, keep you on, you know, go after you like they know they can't win. And so this is really all they have. And I think this is, you know, what America do we live in that people cannot freely run for an elected office because it's supposed to be we the people voting. It doesn't matter what your peers think. It's we the people and what we think. And they are basically going against that with the tactics that they are using. They uh, I think that the left really doesn't. Obviously, we, everybody wants to win. We get that. But there's supposed to be you know, a set of standards and rules that we operate under and you go out and, you know, I like to characterize it as I go out and sell my apples and the other guy can go out and sell his or her oranges. And, and, and you know, you do the best you can and, and the best person can win. But in the arena of ideas, they don't want to compete in that arena. They want to take the ability of who you can vote for away from you, which is, you know, they say they're saving democracy. Well, you, know, you don't have much of a choice if the choice is taken away from you by people that um, that just decided based on their opinion. I mean, I will tell you, I voted no. We just expelled a, a, a member of Congress. And, and I don't know what he did. I'm not an investigator. Uh, I read the reports like everybody else. But it seems to me in America, you're supposed to be convicted before you're punished. Yet members of Congress overturned a duly elected representative, that district sent that person. And uh, and the members of Congress said, no, we're not going to let him stay here. And I think that's a very dangerous precedent to set, because if we're going to punish people without due process, it's uh, that is certainly not America. That's not the America I grew up in. And I don't think anybody should have to withstand that, not whether you're a member of Congress or an elected official or just average citizen. I, feel I like used to say, I'm sorry, it's a slippery slope, but I feel like we it's not just a slippery slope. We're sliding down that slope, you know, like a head first. I mean, it, yeah. it's terrifying to me, quite honestly. I'm sorry, Stephanie, I interrupted. No, I was just going to say, I feel like social media may play a larger role in conviction, you know, or, or, you know, being guilty before 
investigation and stuff like that. I think it was around the time that social media started to get big that we started seeing people basically being convicted without any um, any due process. And it's just getting worse and worse. And people just kind of, they look at a, a one line kind of meme or whatever they see, they hop on that bandwagon. And quite frankly, the majority of people have no clue of what they're talking about. Facts be damned. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do have to be informed. And again, like you said, I think we are sliding down the slippery slope. And, and in, in particular, like the left, this whole thing with now removing one of the major presidential candidates off the ballot just because they say so. Uh, you know, every single day people wake up and they look at the newspaper, or they listen to the radio, turn on their TV and they they throw up their hands and they say, I can't believe this is happening because the left keeps taking it to the next level. And, and you just don't think it can ever go any further. But they do. And the only thing that's going to stop that is for people to stand up and say, we've had enough of this. We are not going to put up with it anymore. Even if I don't like the candidate, you can't punish somebody that hasn't that hasn't done anything wrong or that you haven't proved has done anything wrong. That's not America. And you have to stand up for the principle that that is wrong. Yeah. Even in other countries, I don't know if you guys saw, I think it was in the Netherlands, the farmers uh, like are basically dumping fertilizer and spraying their, their government houses down with manure and whatnot. I mean, people across the world, world are, uh, excuse the language, pissed over what is happening at the, the government level. Taking yeah, well, rights, they, yes, and their ability to earn a living and, and live their yeah. lives. They, they have every reason and justification to be angry. The government is not supposed to run our lives. It's our government. We run it. But they feel every day that no one hears their voice, that no one hears their concerns, and no one cares about what they're interested in. Like, it's only the people that all go to work together, whether it's in the capital of the United States or state capitals or even capitals in other countries. And that that group of people all decides and they don't really care what the rest of us think. That's not how that certainly in America, in a republic, that's not how that's supposed to work. And they feel like they don't have any control over their own lives. And that's a dangerous circumstance to, to have. Our government is out of control, in my opinion. I, yeah. I agree with you. And, um, you know, in addition to these things, the practical matters um, in the, you know, just the uh, fiscal condition of our government uh, is something I, I keep coming back. And I know something you're fiscally conservative, Scott. Um, what I mean, I've seen numbers with our debt interest and where that's headed and how yeah. we can even sustain that. And I know that's something you've been fighting against and, uh, you know, for about just fiscal responsibility. We can't just continue spending money. And I think that goes into it. You know, government starts to own people because people keep taking all the money. Um, that so, so what do you say about that? And you could probably go on well, about that. Supporting yourself and um, and being self sufficient is 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 very inspiring. It's honorable. It makes you feel good. It makes it gives you that sense of accomplishment that you don't owe somebody else or some other entity like the government. But that having been said, for most of my life, whether I was at the state level working or now at the federal level, I've been interested in our financial situation and concerned about it. Just and, to, you know, in case people don't know, in the last few days here, we've gone over thirty four trillion dollars in structural debt in the United States of America. And next year or well, actually this fiscal year, we're going to spend a trillion dollars in interest payments. So you get nothing for that. You don't get 
a new tank. You don't get any social services. You don't get a new airport. Trillion dollars in interest just gone out of your tax dollars. And and a lot of people, they, they I think, don't care. They say, well, you politicians all say that, but you all vote to spend more money. Why do I care? What does it make a difference to me? Well, if you've been shopping for groceries after the last over the last couple of years, you see the difference. If you've been buying gas in your car or if you had to buy a new car or heaven forbid, a new home or something like that or pay for education, the price of everything that you used to pay for and expect to pay, you know, whatever, $20 is now $100. Whatever you paid $20 for four years ago is now $100. Whatever you paid $100 is now $500. And that's all due to government spending money that doesn't exist, and they're mortgaging not only you, your future, your kids, your grandkids, and children, and your great-grandchildren, people that haven't even been born when we're in that much debt. And so I've always tried to exercise some fiscal restraint because it does affect the people that I work for that are trying to stretch their budgets and provide for their families. And when you can't afford to go out and get a meal on a Friday night with your family because, you know, what used to be... 40 or $50 is now 100 or 125 and then you want to put a, a tip on it. And, you know, the person that's working, they're serving your meal, they, they need to earn a living and it's not their fault. The person that's providing the meal, the restaurateur, it's not their fault. All the prices are way up. This is all caused by us at the federal level because there's no constraint, there's no restraint on spending and that's what we're going to deal with in the next two weeks and the next two months in Washington, D.C. And I can tell you right now, they're already, they've already reported a number of a deal that they came to, but it's not the real number. They didn't even tell everybody the truth. And they're reporting it out there like, they, like that's what it is. And, that's, and people, people are so busy with their lives and they've heard this so much. I know they've become numb to it, but, but um, we're killing our country and we're bankrupting our citizens and there's no reason to be doing it. And there, there's people sitting in their homes having to figure out how to cut back themselves. There's no reason our government can't do the same, really. And I think that goes back to what you said, Scott, when you said your bio in the beginning. You are somebody who actually did things. You worked for a living. You grew up, um, you know, knowing how what, you know, with wants and needs and needing to earn a living and, you um, you know, and there's a lot of these people are just so far out of touch with what the real American, the person, people you represent are doing on a day to day basis. We all have to make choices. And just because you represent the government and other people's money doesn't mean that you shouldn't use um, good judgment and, and choosing and and also on occasion saying, look, we'd like to have that. We, we simply can't afford it. But there's never that discussion in Washington, D.C. about what we can afford. It's always and I'm going to tell you, even though that they've come up with this deal with this number, I think it's one point five, nine trillion dollars. And that's on top of everything. Else. Let me kind of break this down for you, because, you know, we had a speaker's battle a year ago this time. And part of it was the spending. So last year we took in five trillion dollars. So if we just take five trillion and make it five dollars, right, paid you paid the government five dollars. But we spent 7.2 trillion. So we took in five. We spent 7.2. I'm one of the guys that said we can't do that. We have to change direction. So this is really crazy. But instead of spending seven dollars and twenty cents or 7.2 trillion, we and the people like me said let's spend seven dollars and ten cents. 7.1. Keep in mind, it's still two dollars 
and 10 cents above what you're taking in or $2.1 trillion more. They couldn't, we had to fight to get that. We got that. And by May, that was all done. And now they're reporting, we've got a deal at 1.59 trillion. That's on, that, that's what we call discretionary spending. All the other stuff is spending that just happens automatically, right? They're reporting 1.59, but they're going to spend 1.68 or something. They're going to spend tr billions and billions of dollars more that they're not even talking to you about. And, and they're coming to me saying, well, we need you to vote for this. Well, uh, are we going to get some policy changes because we're, we're, you know, we're destroying our country? Our border is wide open. Our military is woke and ineffective. We, we are, we're putting people out of their house and home by, by making things unaffordable. What are we going to change? The Department of Justice is persecuting people that, that go to Catholic mass or, or go to the school board meeting and have a question about how their children are being treated. And um, is any of that going to change? And I can't get an answer. Now, wh why am I going to support bankrupting my country and we can't even get some reasonable policy changes? And th yet they say that, that that's radical, that my position is radical. How is that radical? You know, I 100% I agree. I look at things like the CDC. I'm like, why does it even in existence? The FDA, they haven't done anything for the American people, right? I mean, we think that they have, but in reality... You know, there's been no protection because we are getting poisoned by our foods. We're getting poisoned by our medications. People are bought and paid for their they're going from their cushy job at the FDA right into their cushy jobs at the vaccine manufacturers. I mean, it's a disaster. And I can't imagine, you know, how many how much money is wrapped up in organizations like that. That I'm like, let's just get rid. Well, let's let's and, just get rid of it. Let's and just those pseudo government agencies that also seem to have a lot of control. Is it the EPA that? regulating the appliances and saying, no, you can't have that gas stove. These pseudo agencies uh, dick making rules and regulations that affect all of us. That's exactly right. And it's the administrative state that we have completely lost control of. Nobody's elected. There's no accountability. Like you said, Kathy, they, they, they promulgate, it's called promulgating rules. They issue rules that say, you can't buy this gas stove. And I know that my colleagues on the other side of the aisle will say, Perry, you're lying. We never said that. What they're going to do is make 95% of the current gas stoves on the market unsellable, right? They don't meet the standard. Now, you call that whatever you want to. But I think the real question should be for every citizen, whether you have a gas stove or not, why is the government in that decision? Why are they making that decision? Who empowered them to make it? And shouldn't that be my decision? And uh, and we don't have any, there, there's almost no way to fix that except for to defund these organizations, to take their money away from them so they can't do these things. It's the only real power the legislature has, yet it's unwilling to do it. Instead of taking any of their money, we're actually talking about spending more and more and more right now. Well, I feel like I just may have saved America myself by offering the <laughs> suggestion that I found a couple billion dollars that we can right. And I just learned a new word, promulgate, promulgate the rules. So I learned a new word. Right. We, we only have a few more minutes or another minute with you, Scott. Can you just, you know, it, it's so depressing. And we, we, I, I could say, I could speak for Stephanie, myself, and a number of our friends. We not only applaud you, we pray for you regularly. Um, but what can you say for in a last minute, what can you say of um, to encourage people and what should they be doing and what sh how should they get involved? 
Well, I, I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to be depressed and be dour. I know that some of the things, the conversation gets bleak, but in the bleakest moments is when the brightest uh, light can shine. And, and, th and that light needs to be us as individual citizens. The first thing each one of us needs to do is to be heard. And there's a lot of ways of being heard, whether it's talking to people at the checkout counter, talking to people at your uh, at, at the uh, dinner table or out at a restaurant or at, at work. And it's also in your actions, the things you spend your money on, the people and the businesses you patronize, and certainly about voting and how you vote now. Um, you know, I don't like the rules of voting in Pennsylvania, but it's how we solve our differences and we can kind of throw our hands up and 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 put our heads in the ground and say, well, you know, it's it's a rigged system. It doesn't work or it's it's all set up or whatever. We can say that and we're going to lose every single time where we can roll our sleeves up. You know, I'm thinking about the movie Gettysburg. If you ever saw it, when Chamberlain was up on Little Round Top and his guys told him, here come the rebels and we're out of ammunition. And they basically were saying, Commander, we're going to have to surrender. And he looked around and he said, if we surrender, the whole right flank fails and then they're up over the hill and then and then they've won the whole war. We cannot surrender. And he said to himself, he, he said to the guys, we're going to fix bayonets. Those guys have to be tired, too. We're tired and we're going to and, and, and we're going to go into the fight. And I would just encourage you to watch that scene if you need some inspiration, because when he yells bayonets, you know that he means it and he's not giving up the fight. This is our country. These are our children. These are our communities. These are the things we love and hold dear. This is the only country on the planet that has the prospect of being the great place that God envisioned it to be. And it's worth fighting for. And if you don't do it, how can you ever expect anybody else to do it? And so it's, it's incumbent upon each of us to be that light, to be that shining beacon, to show everybody else that it's not so hard. If I can do it, you can do it too. And we can all do it. And when we're all doing it, we're unstoppable. Okay, one last question, I promise. And you can say yes, no, or plead the fifth. Your choice. Okay. Are aliens, are aliens real? Well, according to whistleblowers that came to the Oversight Committee, they are real. Now, we've had further questions, and I want to tell you in the SCIF, if you don't know what a SCIF is, Secure Compartmentalized Information Facility. It's where you look at classified information, where I ask questions because we're not getting the answers. And the people that were representing the people that allegedly have seen this or know where the evidence is and so on and so forth said, it's beyond my security clearance and it's beyond your security, members of Congress's security clearance. And I said, if members of Congress, if it's beyond their security clearance, like who decides that and who's clear, who, can, who is cleared to see it, if not the representative of the people? And they said, even that answer is beyond their clearance. They can't answer that question. So uh, Stephanie, I will tell you this, um, there sure is a lot of compelling evidence. Either we have weapons and systems in America or somebody else does, which is even more frightening, that can't be explained or somebody not from this world does. And um, I sure would like to know the answer definitively, just like you would. And on wow. that note, I am now shocked. <laughs> <laughs> we have covered a lot of ground on this today. We really have. So oh, that was that was incredible. Thank you so much for for sharing your thoughts and your life with us today and um, taking time away from from everything that you do. And I cannot tell you how much we appreciate you, Scott. 
Well, look, thank you. Uh, you know, I'm here to serve you. You are two of my bosses. And uh, as a guy who is married to a powerful and competent, capable woman, and, you know, my chief of staff, you know her. She is competent, powerful, and capable. We love her, too. Uh, we love her, too. I, I'm a father of two daughters. I am really honored to be in the presence of two capable, powerful uh, women that are community leaders who are thought leaders, opinion leaders, and don't just complain about things, but get out and try and make their part of the world better. It's hard to change the whole world, but you can change your corner of the world and your corner touches somebody else's. And if we all did that, man, would the world be a much, I think, different place and I hope a better place. So um, I'm honored to be to be with you ladies today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Scott. Thank you so much, Scott. We appreciate you and uh, keep up the fight. All right. I will keep up the fight. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. See ya. Man, that was. Um, that I, was I, I wanted to grab a flag and start marching. Um, I mean, at, at the end there is just um, call. You know, at first it gets a little depressing. Is that just me, Stephanie, or do you get a little depressed? No, too? I, I was going downhill for a minute. I was. But <laughs> it, he brought it back at the end, and I'm I'm with you. I I was getting my you know flag jacket out, my flag shoes. I was ready to go. And, you know, um, and I I think Scott he he articulates what we keep trying to say through this show. You have to stand up and be willing to speak out. And, you know, we can't, we can't say, Hey, let's let Scott Perry's of the world do it for us. We have to do it. He represents us. As he said, we're his bosses. We have to start and lead. We can't just depend on our representative, whether we like them or not. And we happen to love Scott Perry, but we have to set the tone in our everyday life. It's so true. And I, I think they need to hear from people you know, what they are seeing, what they are feeling, because we get so much bad information out there that is very hard to distinguish the truth anymore. And by connecting to your, whoever your representative is on multiple levels, I think is very important because they need to know what your viewpoints are. I think that most of the people in America are not okay with where America is heading. No, I agree. And, you know, the other thing with that, we we're we're prone to, you know, it's like the dirty restroom. You complain when the restroom's dirty at a, at a um, restaurant or something. You never go tell them, hey, you have the cleanest restrooms. It's the same with our um, representatives. You have to encourage them. I know on social media, when I see Scott and I see all the trolls that come after him when he puts a post out, I'm one of the first ones to say thank you for what you're doing and encourage them and send them. We have to tell them when they're doing a good job, not just always complain about when we want them to do something differently. Yeah, you're right. You know, I have to remember that, but you're right. And where do these trolls come from anyway? Like who has oh, that little, seen? I mean, people... little bots, it's some little, it's probably some alien or someone sitting in a basement. So their mom's basement, who's just, you know, with the cr crunched up coffee cups and cigarette smoke, you know, doing these with four computer screens. That's what I'm thinking, Stephanie. No, you're probably right. I, maybe we should just pray for them and call it a day. I don't know that there's help for those people, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just, when I, when I look at things, what he's going through, what Senator Doug Mastriano is going through, what a president, former president Trump is going through. I mean, they are trying to take out these really good guys and. Oh. And it's not, and Scott said that it's not whether you like them or not. 
It's not whether you like them personally. It's not even whether um, they have not been convicted or found guilty of any crimes. It's no. just what somebody decides. And that spells big trouble when you could say, I don't like you, so I'm going to take you out. That's big trouble for us it as is. citizens and us as a country. Did you see who is who is suing Trump right now? Did the New York um the New York Attorney General is suing in a civil fraud case, 370 million. I mean, you know, th- this isn't constituents um oh, and you even have um liberal uh people who don't like Trump, you know, um liberal legal experts who are like this is wrong. These things are wrong. I mean, it's just it's just unfat, unconscionable, but well, um, it shows again, you- it shows you where the state of our our um our uh, our, our country our philosophy um you know and scott started it's all about something bigger than yourself you know you what i learned today at least and i'm sure you too kathy you can be from anywhere you don't need a a fancy education but you can step up you can step forward and you can speak out 